We have set our sights this fall as a community upon growing in love, growing in love. And so we are studying this ask the subject of love out of 1 Corinthians 13 in our series called Love Unpacked and Unleashed. And we've seen again and again throughout this series already that love's way is a radical way. It's not a way that we can hope to make much or any progress on apart from redefining the whole of our lives around the person of Jesus, this crucified and risen Savior. And the subject that we come to tonight together illustrates this again for us quite clearly. In verse 5, Paul says another thing. He says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Or love doesn't reckon up the evils that are done to us or against us. The verb here is logizomai, and it conjures up the image of an accountant uh, balancing an account, tallying up every dollar and cent in, in, the, in the meticulous way that is required of an accountant. That's the picture that Paul is evoking in our minds. Only in this case, it's not dollars and cents that are being tallied up, but it's rather the wrongs that have been done against us. And Paul says quite simply, this is not the way of love. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So we're going to look at this in four parts tonight. First, the natural way, the way of keeping score. Second, the radical way of love. Third, how can we live that way? And then fourth, in conclusion, in concluding, why is this better for me and for you and for the world? So the, the natural way, firstly, of keeping score. If someone slanders you at the office, if someone is unkind to your children at a birthday party, if a particular student in your classroom is flippant and disrespectful to you, or if your spouse embarrasses you repeatedly in front of others, or if someone cheats on you in a business transaction, these kinds of wrongs make an indelible impression upon us, our minds and our hearts. In a response for all of us that's almost instinctual, they get recorded in a scorecard in our minds. We hold on to these kinds of wrongs. And when we do this, when we keep a record of wrongs, a couple of things happen. So first, this record substantially colors our perspective of the other or of another. The wrongs that they have done to us can become the lens through which we view them in our lives, or at least the tent or the shade of that lens. Someone who's lied about you and damaged your reputation, perhaps among those that you love and care about, becomes inextricably linked in your mind with this wrong. Whatever other identities that this person may have rightly in the world as one made in the image of God or as a friend or a neighbor or a spouse or a child or a parent or a co-worker, when a wrong like this is committed and recorded, these secondary or even primary identities of this person tend to take a back seat in our perspective to the identity of Quote, the one who has wronged me, injured me, hurt me, or made my life difficult. That is, at least in our mind's eye, this person becomes that identity, the one who's wronged me, at least in some measure. Perhaps these aren't always so straightforward, but it's more complex and mixed. But keeping a record of wrongs not only influences our perspective and shapes and colors our perspective, but it also readies and prepares and equips us to respond to that other in kind. In other words, we don't typically keep score just to keep score. We keep score to eventually get even. When we dwell upon the wrongs that are done to us, we'll be much more prone in our lives to strike back in kind. 
when sooner or later, and it will come, the opportunity arises for us to get even. To bring to balance the score sheet, the scorecard. This may include for us real acts of violence against another, physical acts of violence or other kinds, but it may also include more subtle things like inflicting pain through our silence or our avoidance or any number of other kinds of subtle ways. And it's this dynamic at work in human culture and human relationships that drives so much of history. So much of our world can be explained by this kind of dynamic of keeping a record of wrongs, of shaping our thoughts, and then influencing and fueling our actions. From the personal kind of history, the very um, minute, micro kind of history, to the sociopolitical kinds of histories that we see. From the Palestine-Israel situation, to the conflict right now in Syria, to the Rwandan genocide of 1994, to acrimonious divorces that some of us have had some relationship to, to violent sibling rivalries, or to shouting matches in the office or at the hospital. Friendships become shattered, marriages are broken, communities are divided, nations are actually at war because the record of wrongs looms large in human life and relationships and societies. Because we stockpile, just by nature, we stockpile the things that are done against us. Now, all of those things that I've just listed off are quite explicit and obvious. Um, but let me give you a more subtle way in which the record of wrongs works its destructive power in our world and in our relationships. Consider for a moment a marital fight. In the midst of the argument, one spouse brings up something that's happened in the past. Remember that time that you forgot to pick me up at the airport? Or that time that you lied to me? Or that time that you wasted all that money. That's the record of wrongs. Coming up into the present. And it's being used generally in these kinds of moments. To justify our hardened stance. Or our making demands upon another. Exacting something out of our spouse in this case. If it's a marital argument. And this obviously this is not the way of love. But this is the way of keeping score. This is tit for tat. Of you did this to me so that now I can demand this of you. It's payback in one way or another. And while this may feel good in the heat of the moment in an argument, it doesn't make for a good marriage, as every married couple here could attest, and it doesn't make for good relationships in general of any kind. So it's important that we see that this dynamic, as natural as it is, this natural way of keeping score in both its extreme and its subtle forms and everywhere in between those always works against the radical way of love. So then secondly, what is this radical way of love? Paul says it's not to keep a record of wrongs at all. It's not to keep score. But what then does this mean? Does, keeping not, does not keeping score mean that we forget the wrong that's been done to us? It's not possible, is it, to forget some of the wrongs that have been done to us in life. Sometimes those wrongs are very life-altering. And we're not being asked to do that here. Every time the glorified and risen Jesus looks down at his hands, he's reminded of the wrongs that were done to him. But he's no less loving. In fact, perhaps even perhaps more loving because of that. So not keeping score cannot mean forgetting. Does not keeping score mean that we can no longer call the wrong that's been done to us a wrong? That somehow we have to turn a blind eye to this. And obviously to state the truth is never inconsistent with love. And it's important to God, to our world, and to the one who's done wrong, that the truth be stated plainly. 
Too much of life is lived in the shadows. And God calls us to walk in the light. Does not keeping score mean that we must forgo the claims of justice? Now the answer to this question is quite complex and certainly situational. But we must say that the persecution of wrongdoers in society is a good and right part of any healthy and productive society of people that enables people and culture to flourish. In certain cases, even as we don't keep a record of wrongs in a personal sense, it may be quite right to participate in the legal prosecution of one who has wronged us. But it must be said that for Christians, our hope is not in the justice systems of our day or of our nations, but in the perfect justice of a God who sees, a God who knows, a God who cares for the wronged, and who also cares for the wrongdoer. This God who sees is our great defender. He's the one that we're resting in. This is the God that we trust and the sovereign one who will one day, as we proclaim truthfully and rightly, right every wrong and make all things new. Though there are many mysteries around how and the procedures in which this will take place, this is the great Christian hope. And it's our sure and certain hope. Even as we might be sometimes confused in the midst of a broken and hurting world where we have been broken and hurt and where we break and hurt others. So as we rest in this God who loves us, who cares for us, even at times perhaps as we're participating in the systems of justice in our day, our great longing is to shine forth God's perfect love to all around us, even to those who have wronged us. So then what is being asked of us when Paul says love keeps no record of wrongs? As a people of love, what does this mean? We're being asked to do something quite radical in all situations, both the life-altering situations and the mundane and more everyday situations. And here's the way that I would put it to you. Not keeping score, not keeping a record of wrongs in our lives means not allowing our thoughts and actions toward another to be determined or shaped primarily by what that other person or group has done us. Even though we remember the wrong, sometimes quite vividly, even though we speak truthfully about the wrong and the one who committed it, and even though justice may still be pursued, our thoughts and our actions toward another person and toward the one who has wronged us are not shaped or determined by the wrongs that they've done to us but rather by the reality that this person is a person uniquely made by God in his image, who is therefore a proper recipient of the kindness of love. How do we release the record of wrongs when it's so natural for us to keep it? The word is forgiveness. This amazing reality that lies at the center of the good news that we have to proclaim to the world. At the center of the Christian faith. Revenge, the natural way, is the way of getting even that wounds the other back. Forgiveness, in a very real sense, is a kind of getting even that wounds ourselves. But this 
this is the way of love. And forgiveness is the only thing in the world that enables the record of wrongs that have been done to us to be released. Not to be forgotten, but to be released. This record that stands against someone. To actually be let go of. For its power at work in our hearts and our minds. To be undone. Reversed. In forgiveness, we are no longer held by the wrong that another has done to us. And the other, the one who's wronged me, is no longer held by that wrong either. He's released from our debt. We absorb that wrongdoing upon ourselves. That's why I said earlier that it's a a way of wounding us in some ways. But this is a way of erasing the record of wrongs, this way of forgiveness. And it's the radical way of love, which both enables enables us to think rightly about and to act with kindness toward those who have wronged us. And this is obviously a radical way indeed. So my question is, how are we doing? How are we doing on this way of love? Are you keeping a record of wrongs? Are there people in your life with whom you're keeping score right now? Maybe from way back in the past, maybe from yesterday. A spouse or a child, maybe a distant family member, perhaps someone in this community right here, a fellow board member or a colleague at the office. I find that the two most likely places where we're keeping score are in these areas. First, in cases where the wrong that's been done to us has genuinely altered our life in a very significant way. Or secondly, in these kinds of longer-term relationships that we have, like in marriage or in families with parents and children or in neighborhoods with neighbors or in church communities with fellow church members or in the office with coworkers, where there's an ongoing kind of relationship where repeated smaller offenses done against us can accumulate over the years until we hit a kind of breaking point and it sends us over the edge. So I want you to think about this for a moment in your life. Are there people in either of these categories toward whom your thoughts and your actions are shaped more by what they have done to you than they are shaped by God's perspective and call about them and on your life as one in the fellowship of the people of God. If that's the case, if you think there are those people in your life, then in fact you may be keeping a record of wrongs. And the the call that Paul issues here is a call for us to stop doing that in love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So let's be honest and straightforward about this for a moment. This makes us uncomfortable. This really, really challenges us at a really deep place in our lives. In fact, it almost seems insensitive or even intrusive into my life. I mean, the way we want to kind of wrestle with this is say, doesn't God understand how significant this was in my life? How much I've suffered as a result of this for the years since it's happened? Doesn't he get just how wrong this was or how hurt I am? And these are honest questions. And these are the kinds of questions that we have to wrestle with if we're going to be truly human people in a world that's broken. So I don't disparage these kinds of questions at all. They're necessary And they're a part of our lives as broken people in a broken world. But in our wrestling 
through these kinds of questions. We must come to recognize at some basic place in our life that ultimately God is a God who's not in the business of accommodating our natural ways. Thanks be to God, actually. God never works this way with us as his people. He doesn't accommodate our natural ways. But what is God in the business of doing? He's in the business of transformation. Of recreation. Of making us completely new and different. Making us like himself. Of enabling us to love like he loves. Which means that all of our cherished and dwelt upon records of wrongs must go. There's no place for them in God's economy, in God's kingdom. And painful as this may seem to us sometimes, and as impossible as it may seem, God calls us on this radical way of love because it's the way of life and of freedom and of joy and of blessing and of possibility for us. Those things that we cherish, that we can't let go. God is saying, no, let go of them. Because I want you to live. So how can we answer that call? How can we answer this radical call, this intrusive call of God upon our lives that love keeps no record of wrongs? How is it that we can make any progress along this radical way of love, of not keeping a record of wrongs, of forgiveness? There is no other way, no other way than for us to recognize that at the heart of the proclamation of the good news of the gospel in the church of Jesus is the God who didn't keep score. The God who, as the psalmist says, and as we read together tonight, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The record of wrongdoings has been removed. And how? How has it been removed? Again in the psalms, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. Forgiveness. The scorecard is cleared by God absorbing the wrongs upon himself in the person of his son Jesus at the cross of Calvary. So as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself by what? Not counting their trespasses against them. And then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God enters in. God goes to the cross in his son. And in so doing, as Paul says in Colossians 2, he cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The only way that we cannot keep a record of wrongs in our life, in any kind of situation, the radical or the mundane, the extreme or the mundane, is to recognize that at the heart of our faith, at the heart of our life, at the heart of what makes us us now in this community of the people of God, is a God who refused to keep a record of wrongs toward all of those who would turn to him for mercy, who would call upon him. God's thoughts, hearts, and actions toward you and toward me are not determined, thanks be to God, by the wrongs that we've committed against him or against each other. But they're shaped By an inexplicable love and mercy that pursues us, that runs for us, that comes to us in the person of his son. 
And God continues toward us in blessing and love, forgiving us and continuing to pursue our good and offering us his mercy. That's what he's in the business of doing. That's the good news that shapes and defines your life if you claim to follow Jesus. And that then is why God can call us as his children to not keep a record of wrongs. We read from Luke tonight, Sam read it for us, that Jesus upon the cross shows us this way, models for us this way, as he says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, not counting his wrongs against him. The thief had a long list of wrongs, was justly hanging upon the cross next to Jesus. And then how does he say it to all those whose wrongdoing had actually put Jesus up on the cross that day? As he looks out upon them, they had wronged him in a life-altering, in fact, in a life-ending way. And he prays to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the great picture of the God who is not counting our trespasses against us, not treating with us as our sins deserve. This is a God forgiving and wiping out the wrongdoing, the record of wrongdoing, and taking the cost of that record upon himself. We are what we are. We are alive today. We have a true sense of community and life and forgiveness and joy today if we're in Christ because of the God who didn't keep a record of wrongs. We would have no hope, no future, no life, nothing if he hadn't done this with us. And because he treated us in this way and because we've been found in him, then neither should we keep a record of wrongs to others. This is the deep logic at work in the Christian faith and in the Christian way of discipleship, in the Christian way of love. We, because God hasn't with us, we don't with each other, with our brother, our spouse, our neighbor, our sister, with the one who's altered our life because of the wrong that he's committed against us. And as we know personally and deeply, and as we dwell upon this forgiveness of God, this treatment from God, then and only then will we be enabled to walk along this way of love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. This is great news for us. And this is why that call is so intrusive upon us. Because God, in asking it of us, has given it to us. So in conclusion, let me just say, Finally, that this way of not keeping a record of wrongs is the better way for you, for me, and for our world. This way of love that is at the heart of the Christian faith, that is at the heart of the God that we proclaim, this way of not keeping score is the best way. We will wrong each other. You will wrong me. I will wrong you. You will wrong others and I will wrong others. We're all part of the brokenness of the world. We will commit these kinds of wrongs to one another. And if we all keep a record of wrongs, then this really won't end very well. You'll get mad at me, you'll hurt me, I'll hurt you, and we'll go our separate ways. And thus the history of humankind in breaking and dividing and factions and pushing away. But if we don't, if we forgive, and if we continue to love each other in spite of the wrongs that we will commit commit against one another and to think well of each other and to pursue each other's good then that's a world that gives us hope that's a world that creates a new possibility for you and for me to live in and to become fully who I was made to be 
The world of keeping score dooms us to this cycle of violence and destruction and revenge and fragmentation. In that world, yesterday's victims become today's perpetrators and today's perpetrators become tomorrow's victims and the cycle continues and continues and continues. And quite frankly, nobody wins. Nobody is helped. It creates a mess and it destroys relationships and it moves in an endless cycle that destroys and diminishes human life. The world of a love that keeps no record of wrongs, however, opens up new possibilities for relationships, for fresh starts, for healed divisions, for you and I to become what we were made to be. That's the world that we've been invited into by this gracious and forgiving God who doesn't keep a record of wrongs against us, but who invites us into life. And that's the world that we've been called in this community here to show forth to the city of Boston and to the world outside of the church. Of course, this better world comes and is displayed only at high cost to you and to me. But we who have known God's record-canceling love, we can take this cost, we can pay this cost Because God himself has paid the highest cost of all. We owe everything that we have to him. And so because of this, let's quit keeping score. And in so doing, let's bear witness to this radical love of God that is at the center of all things and at the center of the universe. And let's bear witness to a better world that that his love makes possible in our lives, in our neighbors' lives and in the world, a world of hope and of life and of possibility that all of us, and perhaps especially those who have wronged us, and especially those of us who have wronged others, need. We need this world. Amen.